We'll turn again now to God's Word. And this time we are going to um, read part of Paul's letter to the folk down in Ephesus. And it's concerned with the instructions for Christian living, and it's from Ephesians chapter 4, and we start at verse 17. And Paul writes this. So, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And we leave Paul's letter there. There was a man sitting at a red light one morning. The lady in front of him were going through some stuff in a handbag on the seat next to her. And the lights changed to green. And she was too busy going through stuff to notice that, so she did nothing about it. And she remained there until the light turned red again. So the bloke behind her started screaming and shouting all sorts of things at her and beating his hands on the steering wheel. His expressions of disgust were only interrupted by a policeman knocking on the window, asking him what on earth he was playing at. Against protests of you can't arrest me for shouting in my car, the officer ordered him to the back seat of his police car. And after about two hours in a holding cell the arresting officer advised him that he was free to go. He said, I knew you couldn't arrest me for what I was yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. The officer replied, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car. I was directly behind you at the light. I saw you screaming and beating your steering wheel. And I said to myself, what a nasty man. (laughs) 
but there's nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in his own car. Then I noticed a cross hanging from the rearview mirror, the bright yellow Choose Life license tag, and the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker, and I thought you must have stolen the car. (laughs) If we're honest, I think it'd be fair to say that sometimes in our lives we have moments like that. Moments where we're perhaps not living the Christian life as we should do. Moments we would much rather forget about. We lead inconsistent lives sometimes, don't we? And that's what this passage in Ephesians is all about. How we choose to live our lives. We can choose to live our lives as true disciples of Jesus. Living the Christian life as best we can. Aiming to be more and more the people of God that he wants us to be. Or we can carry on living life like we did before we became Christians. It's a simple choice on the face of it. Paul urges the Ephesians and us to no longer live as the Gentiles do. But what does he mean by that? What exactly are the Gentiles doing that's so offensive and wrong? What on earth is he on about? Well, when he refers to the Gentiles, he characterises them as those who have lost their sensitivity and have developed a habit of satisfying their own desires and indulging every type of impurity. Their thinking became futile and their understanding of truth became darkened. All in all, there were people who didn't live in relationship with God and whose life choices showed that. And he was saying this to the Christians in Ephesus, essentially to get them to think about the fact that there was a way that they lived their lives before they became Christians and there's a way that they should live their life afterwards. And many of them were reverting back to their old ways of life. Or, put more positively, he's saying we should focus on God and strive to live how he wants us to live, instead of settling for how things were before we were Christians. And that's easier said than done, right? Because so often our minds are filled with trivial things and all sorts of irrelevant issues that focus on ourselves and not on God. And it's this self-centeredness that alienates us from God. When we don't acknowledge our need for God in our lives, like the Gentiles didn't, then we don't have time for him. And so by thinking only of ourselves, we lose our sensitivity to God and think only about satisfying our own needs. We try and seek pleasure and serve ourselves above all else. And in doing so, we end up living lives separate from God. Separate from his plan for us, And at best, we put him in a box and pull him out when time suits. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with pleasure and enjoyment, but when they're the sole focus of our lives and come at the expense of the life God intended for us, then we've got a problem. So Paul essentially saying, don't live like you used to, or don't live like you're not a Christian. Don't blend in with society. Most polls taken today concerning the moral conduct of church in Western society show little difference in behaviour between those who are professed Christians and the rest of society. When I was a teenager, just a couple of years ago, I remember (laughs) that there was a poster in our youth room and it said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I guess that's pretty much what Paul is asking here. 
If, there was enough, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough ed- evidence to convict you? It's like he's saying, if you're a Christian, don't live like you're not. Or a quote I read the other week put it this way. It said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. And I really like that because that's saying that we should live our lives so people want to know more. So people are intrigued as to the difference God makes to us. I said before that how we choose to live our lives is a simple choice, but it's not really. I was kind of lying there. You see, sometimes the, li- the lines between right and wrong um, and what we should and shouldn't do become blurred. And we find ourselves making the same mistakes time and time again. And it's that he's on about in verses 18 to 19 when he says about the Gentiles, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost, he goes on to say, they've lost all sensitivity and they just, they're full of greed and indulge themselves and their own desires. They've lost all sensitivity to God and they've separated themselves from him. They're lacking in understanding due to the hardening of their hearts. So what does it mean to have a hardened heart? What does that look like? Well, it means you're separated from God and his truths. It means you're not responsible, responsive even to his spiritual realities. It means you put your ideas about life and your desires about what you want from life first above all else. And when we let our personal desires come before everything and let them become our motivation, then our hearts become more and more hardened. And we become more and more unwilling to consider anything that doesn't fit with what we think, regardless of what's right. When our hearts are hard, it's easier to twist the truth to justify ourselves and our choices. And it's easier to justify doing things we know we shouldn't. It's easier to sin. In 1982, an American news uh, channel reported of an unusual work of modern art. A chair affixed to a shotgun. It was to be viewed by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the gun's barrel. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be having a go at that. But the gun was loaded and set on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next hundred years. That's another good reason not to have a go. The amazing thing was that people waited in lines just to sit in a chair and look down the barrel of the gun, knowing that at any moment it could go off at point-blank range. But they were gambling that the fatal blast wouldn't happen during their minute in the chair. Yes, it was foolhardy, yet many people wouldn't Many people who wouldn't dream of sitting in the chair live a lifetime of gambling that they can get away with sin. Foolishly, they ignore the risk until the inevitable self-destruction. Once we've made a bad decision, it's easier to make the next one, and the next one, and the next one. When we give in to our desires, we develop certain attitudes that are opposed to the truths and values of God, and we become very good at justifying the mistakes that we make. When our hearts are hardened, we live as the Gentiles did. And by that, I mean we live as those who haven't yet personally grasped the truths of Jesus and the difference and the power that the power of Jesus can make in our lives. We need to remember that that's not how we're meant to live. We're to live in a relationship with him, no longer alienated from God, because God, at work in, God is at work in us. 
And that's part of our role as a church, to be the means through which the invisible work of God is made visible to those around us. And again, I guess it's that question I said before, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So let's think about how we can avoid the hardening of our hearts, because it all sounds a bit doom and gloom up until now. But Paul goes on to tell us how we do that in the next few verses. Verse 20 says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Going on to say, When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him with, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know, the thing I like about, well, actually the Bible in general, but I was about to say Paul's letters, is how bold they are and how blunt they are. I like blunt, I like people to say things as they are. I call a spade a spade and I think Paul does that as well. And Paul's words actually present us with a challenge. I don't know about you, but often I find in this day and age that we're too scared to challenge people to commit to anything. We worry too much about time pressures and responsibilities that they already have. And we worry that they're not going to be able to, so we water things down. But you know what? God doesn't call us to a faith in him when it's convenient or when we can fit it in. He calls us to be whole life disciples. And here we're given a real real challenge. We're told to put off our old self and to put on our new self. Now that's a real challenge because it says put off your old self. It doesn't say put off some of your old self, keep some of the things that you used to do. It's an entire thing. It's something that requires action. Our old selves were, when we were, the focus of our own lives, where we lived to satisfy our own desires. And to put on a new self, well, that's a renewed sense and a new commitment and a new desire to do God's will and follow his plan for our lives instead of our own. This is really non-negotiable because if we keep our old way of thinking, then sooner or later we'll give in to our own desires rather than God's. What's more is the act of putting off your old self and putting on your new self are things that require action. They're not passive things. We actually have to think about doing it. We actually have to take action. We need to put aside our own desires and put on God's characteristics. All of our old life must go, not just some of it. And there's a whole range of things that we're challenged to do. Those things include putting off falsehood and speaking truthfully to one another, And you know, when we do that, well, we're all part of the body of Christ and we need to commit ourselves to one another and part of the church. Essentially, we're told to turn against lies, to turn against pretense. We're all part of the church, the church here and the church with a capital C, the the global church. We're all connected to each other, so we need to act like we are. We have a new identity in Christ and we've got to live out that new identity in Christ. We're given ways to live out that new identity by replacing lying with truth-telling. We're told to replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger. We're told to replace stealing with working hard and giving to the poor and needy. And then in verse 29, we're told not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building one another up. One translation says, only what helps... Each word is a gift 
And I really like that idea of each word being a gift. Because how often do we really see each word as a gift? How much better would things be if we, if we saw every word we said as a gift? Because if we did, we'd think about how it was going to be received. We'd think about the things we say a little bit more, and we might say things a little bit different. We might do, we might not. But the words we should say should be ones that build each other up, because words are powerful. We all use words throughout every day, whether it's reading it, saying it, writing it down. Words matter. In 1986, Henry Ford attended a company (laughs) event where Thomas Edison, the great inventor, was the guest of honour. His friend introduced him to Edison as the man who's trying to make a car that runs on gasoline. Edison asked young Henry Ford a host of questions, and when the talk was over, Edison banged his hand down on the table. Young man, that's the thing. You have it. Your car is self-contained and carries its own power plant. Years later, Ford, reflecting on that first meeting, said in a newspaper interview... That bang on the table was worth worlds to me. No man up till then had given me any encouragement. I had hoped that I was headed in the right direction. Sometimes I knew that I was. Sometimes I wondered. But there, all at once out of the clear sky, the greatest inventive genius in the world had given me complete approval. The man who knew most about electricity in the world had said that for the purpose... My gas motor was better than any electric motor could be. So often we underestimate the power of our words and the difference that our words could make. A little encouragement can go a long way. And finally, I want to think about the last verse, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's just a little verse tacked there on the end, but it involves so very much. I think that's possibly one of the hardest challenges that we face as Christians and that we find in this passage. Though I suppose it shouldn't be if we really have put off our old selves and put on our new selves. But assuming that we're human, which we all are, assuming that we all make mistakes, I think forgiving everybody as Christ in God forgave us, or God in Christ forgave us, (laughs) is really difficult. Because it's a huge challenge Because how God forgave us is self-sacrificing. He forgave us wholeheartedly, indiscriminately, completely unreservedly. To forgive as God forgives is to forgive quickly. He doesn't need time to think about it. He offers us forgiveness and if we accept it, then there it is. It's a done deal. No dragging it out and making you feel guilty. He forgives us quickly and he forgives us thoroughly. He totally forgives us. None of this holding something back to chuck out when you've done something wrong again, like we tend to do, or maybe that's just me, but quickly, totally, unreservedly, and indiscriminately. And God doesn't choose who to forgive, or more to the point, he does choose, he chooses anyone and everyone. He sent his only son for every single one of us, and no one is excluded. Forgiveness is sacrificial. God's forgiveness for us is sacrificial. And God says that's how we are to forgive. We should forgive as God forgives and forgive because God forgives. For if we expect God to forgive us, then who are we to not forgive others? And that's hard. There are some people we'd rather not forgive. There are some grudges we'd like to hold on to. 
We often want someone to blame for things when things don't go right. But, you know, if God forgives us as bad as we are, however much we want to admit it, then there should be no one that we are willing to forgive, not, not willing to forgive even. And here's the thing. Everyone is in need of Jesus. And the good news in this passage is that God can transform anyone by his grace. Many of the Christians in Ephesus were living a new life in Christ. And Paul is encouraging them and advising them on how to continue to live that. But the overall point is clear. If God has made us new, we are to live an altogether different life. We're to think differently, to respond to truth differently, to act differently, and to do it with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You know, it'd be easy to think of that passage as a list of do's and don'ts. It's quite easy to think of the Christian life as a list of do's and don'ts. But you know, it's not like that. Look at it like this, because... Actually, it's about God calling us to live in relationship with him. God calls us to a new life, to put off our old self and put on a new self. That being the characteristics of God. It's our responsibility to live out our new identity for the good of others and for the glory of God. So the question is simply this, what are you wearing? Your old self, comfortable but not what God asks of us, or our new self? our identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you call us to follow you. We thank you that in you we have a new life. And Lord, we ask that times when we find it difficult and we try and blend in with society, that you will give us the courage to just stick to what we know is right. Lord, help us to follow you more closely. Amen.